0: I don't know about you, but when I look at the amount of social service agencies out there, soup kitchens and, and outreach ministries that are active right now, it's kind of paralyzing to know what anyone can add to such an operation that seems maybe better managed by experts or those more experienced in the field. How many horror stories do we hear of well-intended initiatives that just end up hurting people more. I mean, that's where we get that famous line, right? When helping hurts. So how do we begin to think about getting involved, starting something new, initiating a program perhaps out of our our church? What does the church offer to this charity landscape of our city? Should it try to be like a local community center? Should it staff social workers and housing specialists and employment counselors? What is the distinct function of the church? What unique flavor does the church bring? This is the Good Neighbor Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Sidirgo, And on this episode, I caught up with my friends, Angie Hawking, who is the director of a great ministry called the Common Table at the Church of the Redeemer, as well as my other friend, Lorraine Lamb, who is an outreach worker and advocate at Sanctuary Ministries in downtown Toronto. These two are seasoned frontline workers in this city. I mean, they are advocating for the rights of and safety of the most vulnerable people right now. You know, especially amidst this pandemic where people who are homeless have very limited options. You know, shelters are at capacity, indoor public spaces are closed. I mean, I was, I was walking around downtown today and I had to walk five blocks before finding a store that let me in to, to use their bathroom. And I had to buy a drink before they even opened the door for me. It's a crazy time for anyone on the streets to survive right now. And Angie and Lorraine, they're in the thick of it every single day. So I was glad to be able to chat with them on some of the questions I've mentioned and to hear their thoughts on the distinct function and role the church has when it comes to poverty in this city. This episode is the first of a two-part interview I had with them. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Good Neighbor Podcast. Uh, I have today with me Lorraine Lamb and Angie Hawking. With me, uh, two friends of mine who, like first Lorraine, I've known for a long time, and <laughs> and Angie, we've gotten to know each other over the past few years. Welcome. How you guys doing?
1: Great. Good. Happy to be here. Yeah, me too.
0: We always uh, enjoy having conversations about um, the the topics at hand with here that we're talking about in Good Neighbor context with church. And uh, the social sector, and given a little introduction for both of you already. But in regards to your your participation, it seems like in both your contexts, you are both you work together, right? In lot, in, yeah. in the Church of the Redeemer. So I do find that genuine relationship, friendships, and relationships among uh, you know people who are working in the field mm. makes really a lot of difference when you are engaging, particularly in such hard. A hard type of frontline work it's not it's not totally. so easy when you're just like oh you're my coworker or whatnot you just there needs to be this camaraderie and I've had that in seasons at Evergreen where I've seen the camaraderie as like we're there's a brother sisterhood there that's tight and there's ones where it's like we're co-workers lo- working alongside yeah. each other mm-hmm. and I don't know what you guys see if the, the difference between that but I found that that makes yeah all the totally difference absolutely and I would
1: say it's there's, there's an isolating element to this work, you know, like you are kind of carrying a lot and navigating a lot on your own all the time when it comes to advocacy stuff, when it comes to working with, part, working with folks on the street. So if you have a circle of friends that are also doing the same thing that you try, for me, it comes down to trusting them, right? Like trusting your judgment and trusting their character and being like anything from like, hey, there's this very practical resource I need or, to... I need to vent about this or uh, I need to talk through, you know, confidentially of course through like this thing with this person. And, and like, so yeah, I think that's just how these like genuine friendships are created in this Mm -hmm. circle because we, we find the people that we trust and we, um, and we cling to each other, you know, and then we just keep working together. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah.
0: Well, you know, on that note, what we want to talk about today and where I want to get to is really thinking through, the church's role when it comes to the engagement between church and poverty and their role in connection to, you know, the social sector and mm-hmm. um, government agencies and how that intersection happens. Because oftentimes churches can feel a little bit intimidated to know how to get into that scene when they've mm-hmm. perhaps been out of it for a while. And, and both of you guys, I would say know already is that like what we have as the social sector right now came out of a lot of the church work that was done you know the ymca or the the salvation armies or like the young street missions that's you know christian agencies who are actually really forefronting uh a lot of what was happening there but Mm -hmm. as you can see like as as the century has gone by like those those the role that the church has played is now taken a little bit of a, a secondary place we've kind of step back and allow, you know, the social sector and government programs to take a more of a a prominent role, you know, in facilitating and managing the delivery of of services. And and so when you think about that shift in that landscape, right, and and the church's role, how do you think the church should, like, evolve, um, knowing that this is happening? You know, should it take its cues from the government, you know, say, like, okay, you're leading now, um, we'll just take your cues and you tell us what to do and we'll go from there. Should they align themselves with the social sector incorporating, you know, those very social work practices, professional practices, the the best practices you could say, um, should we take those and put it into the church ministry? Um, cause I'm, I'm really curious about what is that distinction that should be made between the church and the social, the social sector when it comes to engaging issues of poverty. And I think you both would probably have a lot to say about that. So curious Ooh. thoughts on that.
2: I, I think growing up in a in a church context, I think a lot of the principles of supporting community were just very much like second nature. Like I think as people who grew up in the faith context, that's just something we know is, is something that we should do.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: when I started leaving the more conventional church background, I realized that like churches often don't actually really know what the issues are. You know, um, I think we talk like, okay, we need to serve the poor, but oftentimes I think churches don't really know who the poor are, even in their local context. Mm-hmm. They don't know why people are homeless, for instance. They don't know policies behind, you know, what's causing a lot of things. And I think the lack of knowledge, and I would say the the lack of pursuit of that knowledge has made it so that the church's support is sometimes not very helpful and sometimes actually pretty irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think that's what I see a big gap sometimes in the church's desire to do stuff, but because they don't really know what's going on. And sometimes it feels like they're just so out of touch with what's happening in the community that like their helping is actually really not helpful at all. Mm -hmm. And I think the really neat thing though, about like the church setting is that we have freedom and flexibility, though, to engage with people in a way that a lot of social service sectors can't because of you know professional boundaries and and all of that stuff. And so sometimes that's actually quite restricting. So I think the church has a lot of space and freedom and flexibility to be able to do a lot of things that conventional sector organizations can't do, Mm -hmm. but it needs to be rooted in some kind of, you know, understanding of the deeper issues at hand.
0: yeah what What you just said there is because even though there is a narrative of the church um being involved in a way and i talked about this in in another podcast with rick the the church has created these arms length mission Mm -hmm. organizations to do it to do it for them and left the church to do like the discipleship and the worship type of Mm -hmm. stuff right Mm -hmm. and as a result of that it's like it's kind of severed its relationship with the streets in a lot of ways and then like to expect it to come back into the fold without like, they've been out of the scene for a while, right? And, and then trying to get back in is kind of a, a difficult type of thing. And just to point out, sanctuary would, would articulate itself as a church first, if I'm not mistaken, is that right?
2: Yeah, we would definitely articulate ourselves as a church first, as a community first. Um, but I would say like, if we're using sort of programming language, all the programs that we've created were created because the people who hung out together said let's eat together so we're like oh yeah okay well let's create community meals Mm. you know um we started art programs because people were hanging out and they were like let's do art together and so it was like that makes sense let's do an art program together rather than hey let's create a program and then advertise it and try to get people to come which i think is the conventional church setup and then Mm. that focus becomes let's try to get more program participants And meanwhile, again, these programs might not actually even meet the need of (laughs) the community. And then there's another like disconnect there. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like Angie, yours is a church that in a way set up a, if I'm not mistaken, set up a outreach program. Is that right? Like that it's, it's different a little bit, like uh, the church. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We have
1: so many, so many similar kind of ethos and value for sure with sanctuary, but then also very different. So. Um, I'm coming from Church of the Redeemer, who about, I mean, at this point, it's probably 26, 27 years ago, decided, um, and as the story goes, it was our office administrator at the time who said, people are coming to the door and they're hungry and mm. like, we don't, like we need to do something, right? So um, she started making sandwiches at home and bringing them in. That's how um, it started? That's, that's how amazing. it started. Yeah, I love I that. And, uh, and then a few, of course, women, right? <laughs> awesome women <laughs> um, said, uh, said, we're going to help her out because this is a lot you know, for her to do on top of everything else. And they just started feeding people. So like, and it was a response to the need that was literally knocking at the door every day. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of like how, how things started long ago, um, which is such a, I, I love that story because it's so, It's so like, you know, like there's a need and we're not going to just like call, you know, call a phone number and see where we can send people. We're going to try to respond to at least a little part of the need that we're seeing. Um, And then also though throughout the the years, of course, we've kind of asked, asked a lot of questions and we are still always asking these questions around like, what does it look like to do things, you know, from a charity framework as opposed to something a bit more uh, communal and community development centered and things like that. So that's been a big part of, you know, my focus of work in the last nine years. And that's, I mean, and that's where, like, I think uh, Sanctuary and us, like, share a lot of the same approaches and, and beliefs. But I will say that there is a different, like, perhaps a different entry point for us. Like, as much as I'd like to say, oh, everything, you know, comes from, like our folks saying that they need something at this point yes but there was a point in that like in the past like we are at that place now because of our relationship with the community right so um and you have to start somewhere right so yeah, yeah. i i guess i'll just i just feel like seeing the caveat of churches that because i do some you know some supporting and um kind of like consultation type work with churches that are like how do we start something and I and like to be fair, like they they do, you know, there is some like desire to to facilitate and to get to know people, but they just don't know where to start. So sometimes I think, yeah, you have to start with some, you know, like you have to start with a bit of a plan um, to just get things rolling. And I think that that's okay. Uh, but once you have, you know, once there's something, then absolutely, like if you're not tuning into. The folks that are coming and accessing, if it's quote services or if they're coming for a space to keep warm or whatever it is, then you aren't you aren't uh, responding to the real needs, right? But if you are, but if you create that space and then and then you start to say, okay, now these are people, whether it be three, four people, it doesn't matter, right? But like then then you start to ask those questions and bring folks into the planning, and I think that that's what's really key, and that's this that's the kind of organic shift we've we've gone through, right? Of like. Mm starting as a very charity approach thing because it was like, hey, people need food. And and then kind of shifting over the years of like, okay, we're doing this. We've got this amazing rapport with the community now. What does it look like for us to really involve the community in what we're doing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and really, and make sure that we're responding to the actual needs as opposed to just feeling really good about giving out food all the time, right? So
2: Yeah, I'm actually really struck by how like, but- like you guys started the food program because literally the need was food. Like it wasn't like, you know, the church ladies sat around and was like, what could we do? And they came up with something out of the blue. It was that the need was right there. So they responded to that need, which I think sometimes is the disconnect that I see in churches who want to engage um, in like in work in the community is that like the need is very clear, maybe in their community that, hey there's a lot of refugee families here but the church is like no I really want to support like homelessness downtown and it's like but the need in your neighborhood (laughs) is not that right and I -hmm. I think yeah so I think what strikes me about the office administrator is that like you know it was literally like she responded to something that she saw and then it just kind of blew up into this really cool thing
0: yeah because if if the if the ministry going like doing sandwich runs downtown is the, the mode in which, okay, our outreach ministry and our church is doing this, then it, it tends to be, I find like um, it's not part of the rhythm of the church to do that, to go right. all the way yeah. there. And it could be, that's fine. Like that could be a part of it, but the life of the church is in a mm-hmm. different location, right? And sometimes there's churches that are very transient as well. But you know, when you think about that, because um, I, I, when people look at sanctuary or Church of the Redeemer, you know, say in the, in the, in the Anglican churches around there might look at churches church in yeah. a certain way, like, oh, they're, they're the ones who are doing the mercy ministry, like, wow, well. or sanctuary is like, a, is this one-off, you know, they, they just have a heart for that, you know, that's their heart, that's their passion for it. But like for the normal church, you know, we can't expect to do that, right? I mean, do you, do you think of it as, how do you think other churches should, you know, view themselves or how do you view yourself? Do you think of like, you no, know, we're a church for the poor in this kind of way, or is it, is it just part of the theology that has come out and it should be a part of other churches' um, thoughts? Like, cause I find that whole niche idea of a niche church that is for outreach, sometimes problematic uh, in helping people, not helping people actually think about how they can get involved, you know?
2: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I uh, I think I personally really like to push back on the whole idea of like, well, they have a heart for the poor. (laughs) Because for me, it's, if you are a Christ follower, why isn't your heart (laughs) for the poor, right? Like, I think sometimes people talk about like, okay, the church can't be too involved in social justice. But meanwhile, like Jesus was revolutionary because he usurped the systems of power of his day. Like, so even if you are not someone who believes that Jesus is the Lord, you can still say that he was pretty revolutionary in the things that he did. And so I really struggle with the narrative that like, okay, some churches just have a heart for the poor because if you look at Jesus's teachings, like his heart was for the poor. If you really believe in partnering with Jesus in his mission and in kingdom come and all that stuff, like then why isn't your heart for for the poor, right? Like I, I think separating that is actually quite, Unhelpful, and, and I think it does a lot of disservice to even Christians themselves who are trying to pursue what it looks like to to mature.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would say too, um, you know, I think at least in the worlds I grew up in, there might be the response, "Well, we're all poor in spirit," <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we find these really creative—I have to say—ways of turning <laughs> turning that focus it back in, right? Like back into ourselves and. And, you know, cheering on, you know, cheering on places like Sanctuary and sending in $100 a year and otherwise being like, how do we make more Bible studies for ourselves, right? And like, don't get me wrong. I think Bible studies are wonderful. And I think that, yes, we are poor in spirit. (laughs) So these are true things. But like, there are people that are literally poor. (laughs) And I think that that's, you know, that's a a distinction that's worth saying because, uh, you know, and that's where, of course, our, our hearts are right is like people with that are literally poor literally living on the street in a first world country um just sometimes i still have these revelations like oh my gosh there are people literally on the street i've done this (laughs) for like 15 years and i'm like how am i still it's interesting how i still have these like waves of like wow like this is a crazy world that we're living in so um so yeah so i mean now and, and all that to say it doesn't mean everybody's like ideal is to do exactly what we're doing of course like of course not right like um you know some some poverty in different neighborhoods are going to look like high of like high-rise subsidized housing and their issues are you know somewhat very different than folks by us and they're more you know like it's like food insecurity or it's daycare Mm -hmm. or right like it's like there's so many things Um, but I think like you do have to come back to the poor, for sure. I, I feel like, the, you know, like, the more I do this, I'm like, absolutely. And for me, like, that's where the, that's where God's heart is. And then, and like the literal poor, you know, like literally the poor around you. And if you are in an area, there's no literal poor, then look closely, because you're probably missing it. It's probably there for sure. It's literal poor, you know? So I think, you know, just to, just to throw that in there, I think that we sometimes can get a chart of, make language that gets us around these things. And (laughs) and it's because it's hard, you know, it's hard to like do that work of really getting in tune with the literal poor around us and to understand what kind of place we could play in role that we could play. So yeah, it's hard work. Yeah, I think it's
2: it's hard and worth it. I, I think like I think both Angie and I would share the same agreement here in that like doing this work is hard. And so we're trying to support the communities around us. But I think both of us stay in it because we've been so transformed by these communities that we're here to to serve. I feel like I get so much from this community. This community has so many gifts to offer. Um, And I think that if we stick with the arm's length way of ministry, then we're actually going to be the ones who miss out on the incredible gifts that this community has to offer. yeah, and I, I just think too, like if we're going to be Christ followers, just looking at how Jesus lived his life, he spent his time with the poor, like he walked amongst them. He, You know what I mean? And so I think if we are taking all the stuff we learn from Bible study and discipleship classes that are supposed to align us to follow after you know, God's heart and the way that Jesus lived, then it's just like a natural thing that you would do, in my opinion that that's what you would do, that you would want to figure out ways to be in community with the poor.
0: And and back to that question about that church distinction, what I hear too, when you actually believe that the poor um, is, you know, and I talked about this with uh, Rachel Tullock in one of our things, interviews with the idea of seeing Jesus uh, in the poor, uh, which is a foundational passage, right, for all of us in Matthew 25, when we do that, um, what distinctions, distinguishes the church is that we truly, as part of our theology, actually, it's actually the reality of us, like there's a reciprocal mutuality that occurs when there is encounter there, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that, you know, a lot of the what I know about, say, the social sector and, and, and government agencies trying to tackle or address the issue of poverty is that it is a problem to be tackled, right? It is, and there, of course, there is problems to be tackled within that, right? But it is very much a one side coming to the others. It's, it's not necessarily interested in the mutuality and the learning, even though that language is cloaked in a lot of the literature um, that we see over there and dignity and compassion, but truly actually allowing people to be participants in the community and it being reciprocal is, um, I'm not going to say it's mutually like in as a church, church's theology, but there's something there. It's very much in our theology to have that back and forth truly as, as a, we actually see value in that, which is a hard thing to see in, in other kind of like one directional type of, um, you know, you know, service delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you find that, found that too, uh, Angie in your, in your ministry, do you find that that idea of what, because you have a unique situation where you not only have an outreach program, the common table there, but you also have a church and they, the people in, in the common table come to the the church gathering. Right. And there's like some kind of mixing that goes on there and what that does yeah. to the theology of the congregation. I'm curious how that changes that, that church
1: yeah um i think there's a few things that are going on uh one thing that comes to mind is just our par- like our parish congregation you know quote the what internally the language we, i can use sometimes is like the upstairs people right <laughs> um, because we've got our, our program at the basement so you know our upstairs people they they are you know the the work that we do in the common table has Grown to define the church in so many ways, and to be a reason that people are participating in worship at that church um, because they they want to be so so close to that, right? And so I think that um, uh, I think that because there's this ownership of the work that we're doing from the community at large. I think that it's it 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 speaks to the 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 commitment the long haul that they have to to walk alongside and they might not be you know doing what I'm doing every day of course but yeah. they are as a community committing to this program yes with their money but more than that you know it's like it's like it's about you know yes we're going to have more conversations in committee meetings about bible studies about folks coming in that are not your you know I guess typical <laughs> like what they're expecting upper middle class you know like uh, person like we're gonna have more conversations around uh, intersections of folks from uh, from the street participating in programs or right vice whatever. It's just gonna it's just accepted in our community as like this is going to be something that and it's hard like this isn't easy stuff right it's mm-hmm. hard yeah. but it's it's part of the cult it's become part of the culture of saying, like we we accept that this is part of who we are and we want this to be part of who we are so um so i think that that's a big a big part of it and another piece of it is you know like going from like what is the what is idealized in our mind of like what this looks like and what is reality and you know one example that comes to mind is you know, I think sometimes. Or, okay, so this was a few years back, and mm-hmm. uh, some folks were talking about like, "Oh, we really want to see," you know, and like, not that they, not that they weren't seeing this or whatever, but like, so someone was just kind of brainstorming with me, saying they would really love to see folks like integrated and in, on Sunday and all throughout the pews and like in the front row with folks <laughs> and in the choir and all this stuff, right? And then, and then when I talk to folks that are there on Sunday, they're like, we don't want to sit in the front row. (laughs) (laughs) They want to sit sit where they want to sit, right? So, and and often for, for, for my folks, uh, you know, that's, that's probably towards the back because they might have some mental health issues going on. They might need to be up and down a lot. They might need to go outside for smokes. They might need to get coffee five times, you know? So like whatever that looks like for their, like, for their needs <laughs> like they are usually choosing something that we might think that our their, our congregation might think oh no we're not doing you know like but actually no we're, like it's like that's the job of this is like not just that like idealized version of what it looks like to be a community together it's about like a- assessing like how does it what does it look like to make room for each other and really listen you know mm-hmm. and uh and you know and, and we've got folks in our you know upstairs congregation that are really committed to like welcoming people and making sure that they're you know like like they're comfortable in the way that they want to be comfortable not like in the way that we want to be them to look right mm-hmm. i think that's such a difference um yeah and that like all all of our folks sitting in the back thing is like a really obvious like (laughs) visual of that of that of that uh difference because that might look a certain way but actually that's what people want to be and that means that we've actually made room appropriately because they're 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 engaging how they wish right so um yeah and and a lot of folks don't want to come on sunday right like that's just not what they want and that's like that's great so we have entry points throughout the weeks for folks to be part of our part of our community and and just even using language in our in our committees and on our board, like our community doesn't mean this t- Sunday people. Our community means anyone that's coming in our building or around Absolutely, our building yeah. uh, all week long, right? So, so I think it's just like the evolving of that kind of stuff that really kind of you know kind you of said, responding to your question. You said yeah. something
0: about doors, like the door they walk into, yeah, right? I remember totally. something that, like, I remember yeah. you mentioning this before. Yeah. Um, it just matters which door they enter through, exactly. and, and that's really something because I know in in my class I talk a lot about this I have this passage in First Corinthians eleven, and and they're doing the Eucharist, and then some people are eating in the atrium in the Eucharist, and they're not getting much food, and the people who sit in this small little place are the. really rich people in there and i'm and i'm advocating in this passage as i exegete it paul is saying eat together eat together so don't just let these people be in the atrium by themselves like doing their own thing as the poor whatnot they're in separate places we should be together and it's kind of a romanticized version of what i imagine a socioeconomically diverse church looks like
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: what you're telling us is a little bit of the reality is that there is like first of all you know what where are you going to be together right if it's a sunday morning morning sunday morning you know in a very proper place then just by just implicitly you are telling people who this is made for and who it's not made for right and exactly. yeah. and the, and i think to myself where are we going to eat together you know in a way or where are we going to worship together whose context who's leading, who has the power in this place really matters when it comes to um, eating together and whether people even really want to eat together Mm -hmm. is another question, which, you know, I still would strive to, to really bring things together. But um, at the same time, like we can't like just force the person into the front row, like what you're saying. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think, I think recognizing that you and and maybe that's the place to start is realizing you only have one door open right (laughs) like like quite literally we have several doors on the building that are used in Mm -hmm. different ways throughout the week Mm -hmm. so it's a quite literal example for for me when i say different doors and of course that could be literal and figurative for other places but you know maybe the place to start was for some places is to just realize we truly literally and figuratively have one door open and what does it look like for us to even have an, a crack in another door open, right, for folks in the, and I think that that's, that's when you get to, because it sounds, I think another thing that can be romanticized is the um, uh, organicness of this work. Like when Sanctuary talks, like we're all like, yeah, like we want that, right? And like, <laughs> they have done that so beautifully through their own, their own way, but I think like that, in other contexts, because they are their own context and they've created a context in which that works so well. Yeah. In other contexts, it's romanticized. Like, yeah, we're just sitting and we're just with each other and we're like listening to It's like, no, but you don't have the structures in place first so the doors open first to be able to even get there, right? So whatever you do does feel forced and does feel like just program making because uh, you're not starting with that first, first questions, right? Of like how, mm-hmm. what does it look like to to kind of start in a different space so yeah and it's like it's a very um, I mean people like structure and people like predictability and people think about liability and like, there's lots of stuff right and even <laughs> in church like us that have you know like done a lot of great work in this way like it's always uh, you know these are always conversations that are coming up so this is not an easy thing to do <laughs> to stress but it's like so worth it like I mean look at you know, look at Church of the Redeemer, I don't know, I mean, I think it's such a unique church in all, in the whole, in the whole country, you know, of, like, how we engage with yeah. the poor and how we um, mm-hmm. do this work, but also, like, are constantly kind of, like, just looking to what it looks like to be a community to together to and alongside each other, so, yeah, so I think it's, like, absolutely worth it, but it's hard, you know, yeah. it's a lot of work.
2: It's so much work, but also, like, I'm, I feel like sometimes we think we know what is the ideal. And yes. I think we forget that we our ideals come from a place that's filtered by our own privilege and understanding of yes. what things should be. And I think like my learning here too, is that like sometimes what I think is the ideal is so far from the ideal for the people that I really care about in this community that I think in order to know what is ideal, we need to actually like ask people right Absolutely. Like have conversations yeah. with people and I think sometimes this the ministry setup doesn't make space Definitely. for the people to have their input right so like let's say we're gonna set up a program for like meals or, or something like that like I remember at one point when we were thinking about like okay if we're gonna do more meals what what day of the week should we do it right like it's you have to actually ask people like what day of the week actually makes sense for you and where you're at. And I think so much of that is really about, again, removing that arm's length thing and asking people like, what works for you? So like, what works for you in order to come to church on Sundays? Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Having space for you with the pack, having coffee for you to access whenever you need, like all of those things that I think, you know, I wouldn't have thought were important, but actually are important. And I think that's where a lot of the relationality comes in.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i mean i have a lot of um ideals Mm -hmm. that i find um constantly coming at the face of um you know things that i'm like oh i i I got that wrong i got that wrong and i find that sometimes it's a paralysis uh, even knowing like how to even engage to begin with and so what you said there is really important just even asking the question And, and and what you said there too angie about like the organic nature of things There needs to be some kind of proximity to a population out there that will allow for some organic bumping into or knocks on the door to occur. And so, if if your churches are like lights out, you know, windows closed because you need it good for lighting for your stage, um, if that's the way in which the church is set up Then no one's seeing anything like no one's seeing anything like go in or out, you know, other than people driving in. So there needs to be that proximity and, and that visibility and those open doors. Um, and I just imagining for you, Angie, like, yeah, imagine you people going to the sanctuary because your setup is that the outreach program is in the basement to get to the sanctuary. You need to go through the door in the basement <laughs> to get there. <laughs> that would make things a little bit more comfortable.
1: Oh yeah. Probably
0: <laughs> stairs, But, um, okay so is there something though that we can learn as a church um is there something that we can learn from you know the secular social sector you know when it comes to engagement because the thing i've been wrestling with a lot is you know because i came from a scene um in trying to navigate a center and creating policies and procedures and best practices and trying to work this out like how am i going to do this well And I'm coming at it with and I was trying to put my professional hat on like and really engage it on like a level that other organizations would would deem as respectable as well. And I was coming in strong with that. I came in a way after I ended my time there kind of reacting against and saying, why was I so like interested in like measuring up to the social sector in a certain way? And I started going to the heart and the other way is like, no, everything should be organic. You know, everything should just be like, let's lay down all these policies and let like community build by itself. And it was kind of going back to my previous like thoughts about it when I was like in my church days, like really just this spontaneous type of view of things. And I think there is a beauty in that I want to recognize, but also a danger in that. And so like, what do you feel is? the role that we can, what can we learn, you know, and maybe Lorraine, you have some thoughts on, on what it looks like to learn. Cause you've been in different settings in different places that, and, and have a lot of good friendships with people in the social sector that could, you know, perhaps help the church understand what can they learn?
2: I I think the f- the first thing to learn is. I speaking for myself is that I think my default when I see a problem is I'm going to fix it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do things. I'm going to do all the things. (laughs) Um, And I think I've learned in this sector that actually the best thing to do sometimes is to not do anything and to actually just listen first. Sometimes I think church programs and ministries are set up as the expert. And I actually think sometimes that does more harm. And so, you know, like if, if, we're gonna start a new thing to deal with food insecurity. I think it's important to learn and hear from people who are already doing the work, listen to people who are experiencing food insecurity. Like I think before we jump into doing all the things, I think it's so important to actually um, to listen to what people have to say. I think in some of my connections I've made in this sector, I've noticed actually that a lot of the outreach workers I work really closely with, um, there's always these like, I mean, they're definitely not far, from, like they're far from perfect, but there always are these sort of like groups, like, oh, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear from your experiences. Like, I think that's really valuable because I think they use these to try to actually create, um, mm. you know, programs and and whatnot to respond to those needs. So I think that's one thing that as a church, I think we can do better in, in terms of just listening.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, i I think we can learn to that um, conflict isn't bad. I, th- I think I see sometimes in my own experiences in a church, a lot of times we avoid having really hard conversations because we're not good at dealing with conflict. But what I've observed in other um, coworkers in the sector is that a lot of organizations very far from perfect and very messy but also have space to have really hard conversations Um, and sometimes get into conflicts because they're they're all trying to figure out how to you know navigate really complicated waters Um, and I I think that's something that research could really learn from in terms of just being able to learn to disagree well Mm -hmm. but still work together well Mm -hmm.
1: Um, yeah I don't yeah. yeah, and know. yeah, and just from a, I mean, this is super duper practical, like standpoint, but like, even just kind of the evolving of our work, I would say would be, you know, you start as like this church that just wants to radically love the world, or whatever, <laughs> and then like,
0: and then you do have to
1: make a decision, you know, pretty quickly, I think, uh, around how are we going to do this well and often the sec you know the secular sector which is a silly way to say it but you know what I mean like the sector the social service sector outside of the church is very like they're the ones that have been doing the work for longer than us often and they're the ones that have the expert voices from my experience this is like you know some sometimes I think we we think that we have these like fairly radical beliefs about people's in, inherent worth and thus like we're on the cusp of things like but from my experience no it's not the case right <laughs> like we are we are yeah. if anything we're being like god i think god's like being like hello like listen to these people right like like these are the ones that you should be following and we have this some christian uh communities can have this like knee-jerk reaction like oh no we're supposed to we're not going to be following now we're gonna you know be making our ways in our own path and of course, I think that there's, like, unique space of which we can, like, hopefully only us can create, and, like, that there's this, like, uniqueness to to our work, but, like, we absolutely have to learn from the social sector. They've been doing, they've been, you know, rising up the experts for so many years, and at the forefront of listening to the oppressed and the marginalized, so, like, so, anyway, so, like, practically speaking, like, I'm, you know, like, even little things like myself and my, and my team, like I send all of our people to, you know, the, the, the best trainings I can. Right. And that like church, you know, like I'm sending them to, to like, you know, like real best practices trainings on the regular, because like, we have to be like, like, we've done a lot of work in, like, being respected as not only, like, are we a church that students serve, but, like, we are a respected drop-in in the city of Toronto, right? So, and that takes, like, a lot of, like, again, like, that's per, per, perhaps way down the road for some for some churches, but um, but if you're doing that work, I think, like, kind of having that, like, mentality of, like, we've got a lot to learn from this world as opposed to, like, we are bringing this new thing and look at us kind of thing, like, I think... Yeah. And and even, and I don't think it comes off as like pompous or something, but I think that that's kind of like (laughs) underneath, right? It's like, oh, we're like being so radical. It's like, no, like we have a lot to learn and being very humble in that and knowing like, you know, take all those free trainings that are offered, take all those $20, you know, like drop-in trainings or whatever. Like do do that, absolutely. Cause you're going to learn so much more. And you're also going to learn that people value, like sometimes we tend to have these beliefs like, over Christians unless we're the only ones that are valuing people's inherent worth. Absolutely yeah, not. No, like, there no. are people that have these <laughs> radical, beautiful beliefs that, that have nothing to do with the Christian circles that we have so much to learn from. And like some of like the most like per- prophetic people, I would say in the city are are not tied to a, a church co- church communities at all. But they are like literally prophets to me. Like I think of like one of uh, like somebody in mine right now. I'm like they're basically like the Jeremiah. <laughs> You know, like, like, they're like the kind of person that would have the yoke on their their back for three weeks, for three weeks walking around town. Like, these are the people that we need to be listening to, right? So I think just kind of having this, like, respect and understanding that we actually have a lot to learn from that world as opposed to, like, we're going to do our own thing and we're being really cool and radical. um, That is, like, a humility that has to be, like, there from the get-go. Yeah. I wonder, I guess
2: I'm thinking, like, sometimes I think we frame church work as, like, okay, we're going to go be the light and salt in the world as if we're the only one but it's like no no like there have been lights shining long before we got here and sometimes they're not in the church and I think we forget that because I think sometimes they're really good at centering just the church voices and like not realizing that like no there are other people but I also think the social sector is really good at living in the gray areas where I think churches are not Mm -hmm. I think churches often need it's either this or this and meanwhile, I think social sectors recognize that actually, that does not work. And they live in the gray very well. Yeah. And I also think that um, in my observation of like the the non-faith-based um, social sector work, they talk a lot about how to love people well, like actually well, where I think sometimes yeah. in church contexts, our idea of loving people well means we're going to drop everything and do everything for everyone all yes. the time. But that's mm-hmm. actually so harmful. Like, loving people with no boundaries is a horrible thing.
1: Exactly. And
2: and I actually think sometimes that's where we find a lot of church ministries kind of sometimes people experience burnout because there's a sense that, you know, we're going to always say yes to everything because that's what it means to love people. Mm -hmm. But I actually think I learned so much about healthy relationships and how to love people well. Outside of the faith circle, yes. um, where people talked about healthy boundaries, what saying no means, and, and you know, like navigating all that stuff, I think we have so much to learn. Um, because I think as a church, we often just kind of water down and sugarcoat what it means to love well. When I actually think it's so hard
0: in the particulars, <laughs> and so, you know? yeah,
2: totally. and it's so gritty that we don't talk about well, but the sector does. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and what you said there too, Angie, with um, training as simple as it is and practical as it is yeah think about that right like because what training do churches go to you know they go to some Mm -hmm. type of conference on worship Mm -hmm. or like scripture or like (laughs) um, leadership or like these all these things and if that's the only training you have then the output of that training is only one thing you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So yeah. like, if there is going to be an emphasis on like justice and mercy and compassion ministry, you know, instead of saying, well, we're not in contact with it. How do, where do we start? Well, you could start with like situating your people in trainings that actually relate to that. Okay. Give you like, you know, the guts to do it. I mean, like, you know, the exactly. one thing I thought that was the craziest training that I ended up doing, which is connecting with you a lot, Angie, was this idea of a crisis procedure intervention. Like I do crisis training all the time to different places. Right. And especially in the youngster mission where I was at, who knew that CPI training would be something that like was so important in radically understanding how to engage with conflict and how to deescalate and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, and then I started linking that to like, Oh, CPI, this crisis intervention stuff really works well with this idea of imago day seeing, seeing someone who comes in the door looking like really um, frazzled, not seeing them with the eyes of suspicion and wondering like, who is this guy? Whatever. But looking at them like there's God is somewhere here. Like God is, I can see God somewhere that gives me like a real confidence that I can really engage. There's hope in this moment because in, in crisis intervention, if you don't have any hope, then you're just going to jump on the person and nail them to the ground and say, exactly. what <laughs> knife do you have? You know, <laughs> like, you're, you're just going to try to like manage the risk, you know, but yeah, totally. If you actually go through these trainings, it will, it, you put your money where your mouth is and happening, right. Yeah. And not only do you and I have, we've
1: worked together, but Lorraine and I also like, that's when churches come to us, like come, you know, often it's, it's Anglican parishes. So they're coming to me and they're saying like, what does it look like for us to have? A conversation about doing something. I'll like rally my troop, which is Lorraine and Greg and me, <laughs> and we will do these trainings. And that's exactly what we focus on is de-escalation because there's a lot of fear. You know, I mean, honestly, I mean it's not the only part of the conversation, but it's yeah. a huge piece because there's a lot of fear around engagement. And if we yeah, if we're opening ourselves up to this cushion it's like there's these very practical things that the that the social service sector offers us that. Can help us move forward, right? And can really give us the right foundation to take the next step outside of our fear into like into community, into loving people, and doing that well, right? Like mm-hmm. doing the, like 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 we were talking about, really, really doing that, right? Yeah, so loving well, um, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. So uh, that's a great example. Exactly, that's it. We are all on the same page with that. Like with that, <laughs> those those kinds of things being like the, the very real entry point, you know, for for mm-hmm. folks to start at.
0: Mm -hmm. loving well who knew that adding the word well would make such a difference in what we would consider loving right if you got something out of our episode please join us next week as we continue this talk and consider the church's role in being an advocate we think about things like how do we speak for those without a voice or better yet how do we provide a platform for the voiceless to speak for themselves in our next episode we'll talk about what it means for christ followers to tweet about the social issues of our day i mean how do we substantiate our well-phrased social media posts on current injustices so if you liked what you heard Feel free to subscribe to this podcast as well as my YouTube channel, which you can find in the description of this episode. I try to get the interviews videos up the week after I post each podcast so you can see the lovely faces of my guests from time to time. So thanks again for tuning in. I'll catch you later.